Welcome in to the Show 6 podcast, where we break down the championship series for Pokemon Go. Today, we're taking a look at the Dortmund Regionals, where 104 trainers competed. We'll discuss the championship run of Viking warrior Arceus Aurelius, who merged victorious in what turned out to be a talent flame meta. And we'll also pick up some loose threads from our previous Knoxville and Melbourne episode. So let's lock in, good luck, and have fun. Welcome in, everybody. My name is Dees Wireless, and I am here with Speedy's Chief 2. Um, welcome in, Speedy. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Zweilis. Good to see you. You are uh, back. I guess you've returned home from yes. Dortmund, Germany. I saw you cooking on stage. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to get into all that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Um, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It was actually like a bit of a stressful weekend, but in the most positive way possible because... I actually did not plan on making day two, um, which <laughs> m meant that I actually had only booked um, the hotel room for like two nights. And from um, Sunday to Monday, I had to book another. I had to work in the afternoon, actually. Like my shift started at 3 p.m. I wouldn't even have been able to make the grand finals or losers finals. So um, good thing that I got knock knocked out just before that. Um, so yeah, it was like all like very, very cut close in that regard, but yeah, I had a good time and I'm back home. Well, I saw your, I saw your tweet as well, or I should say post, you know, now that we're on, we're on X, I <laughs> saw your true. post and you said, uh, note for the future, only book refundable hotels because <laughs> th this was also the same weekend as the DRE scare, right? It Where was so scary. And <laughs> Like we can we can just get right into the uh, interesting meta developments of Dortmund, I would say. Yeah. And of course, like there's there's the classics, right? Like very very tiny movements of stuff like Annihilate, which has like a plus four compared to Knoxville. Charge about plus uh, seven point five. Scum minus four point five percent. So all like very much around the same mark. Uh, there's like three developments I kind of want to get into. Um, one, Lickitung plus 25. Oh, yeah. Two, Whiskash plus 20. And I think the first this season, Talonflame sneaking into the top 12 with 15% uh, usage. And 24 hours before the tournament started, you couldn't have used Talonflame at all because those incinerates did no damage. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like time moves so quickly and there's so many different you know, issues or small things that come up, I feel like it's worth encapsulating, right? So this is kind of like our own time capsule we can go back and listen to. This was a tournament where uh, 48 hours, I think 48 to 72 hours prior, uh, essentially in Go Battle League, you could throw two counters and a body slam against an incinerate user and the incinerate damage would never come through. It would never register, right? Because there's some kind of issue with the damage registration in battle. You know, this isn't DRE like we're talking about in the tournaments, uh, or, you know, where you should get a body slam on your on your third uh, third lick before the, dis the excuse me before the volt switch that kind of thing. This is literally game doesn't apply damage, doesn't work, and it's consistent. And people were saying, "Is this a feature?" You know, like the like the the meme of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the guy hold <laughs> the guy holding the butterfly. Is this a feature or a bug? <laughs> and uh, it was it was devastating, right? So I just want to say, 
I just want to say, Zwei, you have massive cojones for locking in Talonflame right when this issue is just barely getting resolved. That that was that was wild to me seeing you play that. Yeah, I can I can walk you through the timeline a little bit because it was like around midnight ish where um my my friend and European caster uh, Martin and Eloquence actually DM'd me and said, oh by the way, uh, my guy, um it's fixed. You can actually bring your talent frame to the tournament. And I tried some master league or go, go battle league action with an ho with a ho o, which is actually. The only legendary I have built for the Master League, so nice. that came that came in um, like very convenient there. But my incinerate still didn't go through, so I don't know. Maybe it was just um, like a case of needing to restart the game or like download yeah. a new update. Um, there was like still something fishy, but I just trusted the amount of people that said, "Oh, it, it is fixed now." And some people even claimed it was only fixed for. Um, Europeans playing against Europeans and my Go Battle League opponents might not have been from Europe at that point in time. So yeah, I took the risk. I went for the team that I um, picked out originally. I tweaked it at 2 a.m. still because I took out the Whiskash <laughs> that I had because I'm just not a Whiskash guy. I, I struggle with nut shutters. Um, and yeah, so like very, very close to the deadline. I actually have some some uh, background for you as well because I'm not sure if Martin told you this, but uh, basically he was he was messaging in a uh, in a secret Discord that we all share, and he was basically saying uh, somebody send me a battle. I just want to try it. I want to <laughs> test it. And he sent a battle to me. You know, I was I was up. Um, yeah, I guess it was a fair time for me because he was trying to go to bed before the tournament, and uh, we did a Talonflame battle. Didn't work. Right. Huge Whoops. DRE errors in a Talonflame oh. mirror. Uh, but then he took on nighttime clasher and nighttime clasher mm -hmm. was in europe and for them it worked so what we determine is is this is that first yes you're correct it is region based so depending on if he was battling another european or if he was battling somebody from outside of europe there was a difference right secondly it's also device based so he was uh -huh. actually battling somebody on android with his android and it worked correctly and it, when you look at something like iphone it's a different process. So yes, there were, there were multiple variables at hand and luckily, you know, saved by the bell, Niantic came through and fixed everything just yeah. before the tournament. So, but, but I think it, it also like, like you said, with the meta shifts, it put a lot of pressure on people to, to pivot more towards one turn fast attack users, two turn fast attack users, because they didn't want to get caught by the DRE, which I thought was going to mean less charge bug, less town flame is going to open up a lot of space for uh, steel, uh, flying water, um, Pelipper, perhaps things like that. Yeah, actually, I did have um, an alternative team locked in at that point in time, which was the Pelipper team that Jakobovich used to win the Melbourne Regional. So that was like actually like a Plan B in place, but I, I still thought that the Talonflame meta read um, into all those Skarmory and Nihilip cores that we've seen over time um, mm -hmm. that just looked really good and really interesting and if you just plugged in the um teams that did well for example in knoxville into pv poke and basically looked at the top threats talonflame was always on top of that so yeah i really i really just crossed my fingers and prayed for niantic to flip the switch <laughs> in time and yeah thankfully they did yeah, I, I think everybody wants to know about your Talonflame moveset, but as you were saying, in terms of the general meta, a huge uptick in Lickitung. It was already you know the leader, right? I think it was coming in at like 68% in Knoxville, so definitely very high usage. Wish cash as well. 
my prediction, unfortunately, did not come true in terms of Shadow Wiscash overtaking the regular. But uh, we'll, we'll get to your prediction because you did a little bit better than me. But uh, <laughs> I think that you would agree the meta was definitely pretty condensed. Uh, did you feel that way going into the tournament? Did you feel? Did you expect to see a lot of the same things? Uh, yes, I, I have to say that I was a little surprised um, as to what the meta actually condensed around because of course there's some Pokemon that you just expect to see a lot and that we did see a lot. Um, for example, the Lickitung Shadow Gliger core, which has been popular for basically six months now. Um, yeah. Also uh, Viscash, which obviously is um, the big winner of the, the most recent move update and featured on um, all tournament winning teams, but the very first one this season. So probably the, the Pokemon of the season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I expected those. And the high numbers that we see, um, like if you look at what was popular in Dortmund, 73% Lickitung, 61% uh, Whiskash. That is like basically old Medicham levels. But I think the reason why that is, is because historically, um, German tournaments, especially in that um, Western German region, um, have pretty low turnout. I don't know exactly why that is. I personally um, assume that there are just fewer casual battlers in Germany that just randomly go to those tournaments because they're nearby. Like other countries have a little bit more of an active community. Um, but we saw the same in Bochum, which was also like conflicting dates with the Horn tour. So that was even smaller than this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you compare it to Liverpool, this tournament was almost half the size, but, um, because it's so easy to travel, um, through Europe, um, it means that all the tryhards, all the people that actually have their eyes on world's qualification are able to go to all these tournaments. And Dortmund is basically in the heart of Europe, so it's very easy to get to. And the people that choose to get there um, are those that are the the most tryhard about the game, basically. So (laughs) it does make sense that the Pokemon that proved to be the most effective in previous tournaments are the ones that show up the most in in such Mm -hmm. a tournament. Yeah, I feel like so one of the one of the side projects that I have in mind is to calculate the uh, growth over time, right, of these regional mm-hmm. championships, especially the ones at recurring locations. You know, Liverpool, Lille, uh, for the U.S. You know, we have Indianapolis returning this year. I'd really love to see what the what the year over year growth looks like. And uh, and honestly, like I was looking back at 2023, you know, we had 50 players in Salt Lake City and I was thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, we got to grow this. We need to to get more players coming. And I definitely think that's still the goal. But I do also believe that the the growth over time is good because 104 in Dortmund, you know, if we were looking at 2022 or even last year, we would say, you know, this is pretty good. But uh, but I gotta say Liverpool and especially uh, the the Utrecht uh, special event, the oh, numbers yes. are just going to be massive for those. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I'm super glad that we're at a point in time where, for events like Liverpool, Lille, Utrecht, um, we are expecting around 200 players because like last year, yeah. I don't I don't have the Bochum challenge open just now, but I do think it was just about 60-ish players, maybe 70 if we're lucky, but probably less than that. And to to be disappointed at 104 now, like that's <laughs> like already um, a big step in the in the right direction for sure. 
Yeah, exactly. I was actually uh, engaging with someone on Twitter. Can't recall their their name right now, but I, I will bring it up if if I uh, if it comes to mind. But I was talking about the records that we had set in terms of attendance, and I was looking back at last year, and I was saying, well, you know, our, our international competitions will cap, right? We'll hit two hundred fifty six for those, but some of the other ones are just a little less clear cut. I found it here. It was actually against Kahuna Pat. So Kahuna Pat, thanks for the question. But our records that we set in 2023 were 221 at Utrecht. And again, this is a signups and not necessarily accounting for no shows and, and things like that. Players yeah, who drop. Sure. Our biggest regional was actually in Mexico City at 247, which is massive for a regional. And then EUIC and AIC both capped. And so far this year, our record is Liverpool at 197 signups. So I do believe that Utrecht should outsell that. I do believe we should hit over 200 for that. So that would be kind of a kind of a new record. But I also put special events and regionals kind of separate, which I think is, is also fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with like with special events, if you just count the people that actually show up, I do think that's fair to compare to um, proper regionals. But if it's like um, a large cap, a free sign up, and some people just then deciding to not go there, um, that will definitely skew the numbers a little bit. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about is um, EUIC signups opening, I think, next week, if I'm not mistaken. So um, we're going to see whether we will still be capped at 256 or whether we'll actually shoot for the 512 this time around. And I would not be surprised um, for this to be the biggest Pokemon Go event to date. LAIC, I feel like that one had a chance to go over well over 300 uh, because I think signups capped two or three weeks before the event. So I, I do believe we could have, we could have hit it, but um, sorry, I know we're getting into all the, all the numbers of attendance and things like that, but I know people are here to, to listen, to listen to us talk about Dortmund as well. I wanted to, uh, to ask you in terms of fire type Pokemon, right? We saw Skeledurge really kind of emerge with, uh, I didn't mean to rhyme, sorry, with uh, Dunebug <laughs> in San Antonio, but I'm curious why Talonflame and, and how does it match up into the rest of the meta? The emergence of the dirge. Yeah, um, I, I, did, I did see that and I did like it at the time. I think, um, especially in the month of December, I experimented a lot with the dirge. Um, and I did enjoy it a lot. I do think it's still very good in um, GBL and Ultra League and, and Great League. But um, its unique niche for um, play Pokemon isn't really there if you compare it to Talonflame side by side. Because what sets the two apart is basically um, the coverage with the charge attacks. Mm -hmm. And the disarming voice from Skeledurge is really nice against um, dark types that otherwise give um, ghost types trouble. Sure. Or like especially against dragons such as uh, Guzzlord. But those are fringe picks in the meta. And Pokemon it much, um, much more often will have to deal with are the ground types, right? There's Wh Whiskash, which is on basically every team. And there's um, Gligar, which is on almost every team. And those two are way more easy for Talonflame to deal with because um, versus Gligar, you just straight up have a positive matchup because you don't have to fear the digs. The digs are resisted, so they have to go for the uh, lower damage per energy aerial ace. Yes. And you just can either ramp up incinerates or just hit a fly or a brave bird and really threaten big damage onto the Gligar, especially the shadow one. Mm -hmm. And um, with Whiskash, it is actually the case that um, Scald plus Mudshots threaten, threaten uh, the knockout against the Skeledurge. 
But with Talonflame, you actually resist the mud shots instead of taking super effective, super effective damage from it. So you endure a skull and still are like not really in danger of getting farmed down and are able to get to your charge attacks. And therefore, it's not as RPS. It's not over if you have your um, Talonflame locked into a Whiskash. <laughs> and I do think people prefer, especially high-level competitors, prefer to have um, flexible options, like win cons, even in bad matchups. And Talonflame just offers that more. Like One thing that also I want to touch on is the Lickitung matchup. Yes. Because Talonflame does win all even shields. Um, I don't think it's as clear-cut um, what you prefer for uh, Lickitung teams, though. Because the one nice thing about uh, Skeletridge is that if you have to bring a Pokemon into a loaded Lickitung that has a lot of energy, um, the body stamps actually threaten Talonflame, while the energy is walled entirely by Skeletridge. So that is a bit of a trade-off. You do take super effective from Licks, but you are able to um, take the energy better on Skeletridge. But yes. yeah, the overall environment is still more, more of a Talonflame matter for sure. I love that you use the word environment, right? Because on the last episode, we talked about environment and targets, but there's also threats. And I feel like the the, the steep drop-off in usage of Lantern has also really opened things up. Because if you look at it in terms of water-type coverage, yes, there's Azumarill. We saw plenty of Azumarill versus Talonflame, actually, in the Grand Finals. And I think Lantern is just one of those Pokemon where if you had a Skarmory six months ago, nine months ago, and you lined up against Lantern, it was just a death sentence. If you had Talonflame lined up against Lantern, you were basically hopeless because there was nothing you could really do. But Talonflame is able to to target Pokemon like Chargebug, like Registeel, you know, with their electric coverage and deal back that super effective damage. And I feel like that's also a differentiator because, uh, again, sometimes you just don't feel like you can bring a Pokemon because if it lines up against one common thing in the meta, you really have no shot. So I think environment targets and also threats, right, is another another thing that a lot of top trainers look at. And it was a unique opening for Town Flame. And I feel like, uh, like you pointed out, with with the double grounds, right, we've seen so many Whiskash Gligar cores. It's just it just seems really tough to run Skeledurge, and that's still the the reverberations, the ripples effects of Dunebug and San Antonio. Because after Dunebug won there, we saw Lyle Jeffs come in and Abinov with their you know Vigoroth Whiskash Gligar our team and just absolutely leaving no windows for skeleton <laughs> exactly and yeah i think uh, what you said about lantern is actually interesting because i don't think lantern actually got worse um like only only a couple months ago we were um asking ourselves whether lantern actually got buffed i think the real <laughs> yeah. lantern nerf was just um charger bug actually picking up in usage because mm -hmm. that's just uh, an electric type that beats spark lantern consistently and um, has a bit more of a playable matchup against the Mud Boys, and that's why Lantern all but disappeared. So yeah, sometimes it's just about the environment, really. Interesting, interesting. Well, so I obviously we mentioned a couple times so far that you actually competed in Dortmund. You ended up Damn. placing fourth, which is also super impressive. Definitely given your <laughs> your move set on Talonflame, which man, you're. It, that okay that's that's one thing you can do right for for everybody who listened to the last week's episode if you want to win a core breaker prediction just run it in the tournament yourself and then <laughs> and then just and place top four easy just just do it that way uh but so i wanted to ask you about your run through the mm -hmm. tournament in dortmund so i'm looking here at the bracket uh i notice a name that i recognize very well already in the semifinals of group b on day one 
So I, I'm curious how, how your run was, how your your experience was. Um, yeah, like as I as I said, I took my my sweet time team building, going back and forth between teams, and um, at the last second, kicking out Whiskash in favor of Gligar as my charger bug answer, just out of personal preference, really, mm -hmm. um, and because I didn't want to be stuck against the Cresselia and make a time with um, little opportunity of counterplay, so. I basically settled on my Obama Snow Talent Flame core team um, that also featured a Lickitung, uh, a Gligar, um, a Charger Bug, and an Annihilate. And I managed to win my first two rounds cleanly, 2 0. Um, those were Mandibus teams, and I just had really good matchups into Mandibus, mm -hmm. um, especially with Charger Bug and Obama Snow putting in a lot of work and Talent Flame having great neutral play. And then I'm always happy if I don't have to play my first matchups on stream, so I can warm up a little bit. But it was inevitable. Like uh, my my winner semis had to be put on stream because it was against the one and only nighttime clasher, the <laughs> public enemy number one of the European <laughs> continent at this moment in time. After his impressive um, Liverpool run and taking home uh, the first place medal. Uh -huh. um, so we we were talking a little bit ahead of time um, about team building and the overall meta. And I knew that Snowman, who was also in my group, um, just on the other, on the other side of the bracket, um, brought a Shadow Charizard. And I was saying like, oh, I really hope that um, somebody, like no hate against the guy, but somebody needs to kick him out because I really don't want to go up against a Shadow Charizard. <laughs> and then I face Nighttime Flasher. I do not know what he's running. We go on stage. He has his funny little chef set on. He hands me, my, he hands me his team sheet. And there it is, Shadow Charizard. And Yay. I just, like, my, my, my heart sings, right? <laughs> and, yeah, I, I somehow managed to um, come back from, I think I go down 0-1 imme immediately, and then I somehow claw back. And it comes down to a lengthy dispute at the end, actually, because um, I managed to sneak a full ward switch from my charger bug um, onto, uh, I do think, his... Um, Nikitong at that point in time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, turns out that that was just because he only reached the body stem after four licks and had no choice but to throw it on alignment. So there was no lag going on there. Mm -hmm. I just escaped with like a one HP victory after I completely misread what he would have in the back. Um, I expected the Charizard. It was the Annihilate. I almost gave up the entirety of... Um, my my Gliger, which would have been the perfect counter for the Annihilate. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I managed to get off two discharges from my Charger Bug and then close it out with a Power Whip that my Lickitung reaches on 1 HP. And yeah, like by the slimmest of margins and uh, as a display of top-tier PvP television, I managed to take back Europe's honor. Um, Logan Rocket <laughs> finishes uh, the job in, in the lower bracket, knocking Nighttime Clash out for good, denying him another top cut. Um, I originally had planned to just yoink the chef set and do the winner's interview with it, but okay. because the dispute took its sweet time, um, which I appreciate, I do think that's how disputes should be done. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm stuck with just a picture that I post on, on social media, but it was good fun. It was like, I was not only like defending Europe, this is like basically just a bit that we're doing, right? This is like all in good fun. <laughs> Uh, it's just spicing up the season. I was also like battling a friend that I met the first time um, a year ago in Bochum, actually, which is 15 minutes away from Dortmund. 
-hmm. And yeah, like we came as almost nobodies back in the day. And now we are both regional champions, uh, face off against each other with very similar teams that we built. And yeah, it came down to one HP in a dream. Um, very, very fun experience for sure. So I've noticed this and I feel like a lot of other people that are watching the championship series really closely have probably noticed this as well, but nighttime clasher is kind of like your Padawan to, to <laughs> you being the Jedi master, right? I mean, he, he I think, like... I think he's actually like many people's Padawan because he really gets oh. his insights and, um, his, um, strategies and he, he just asks a lot of questions, a lot of questions, which is great if you want to improve. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, I do think, I do think that especially in terms of team building, you probably took a few pages out of my book here and there. I remember you and I talking before San Antonio and you pointed out that a Skeledurge Obama Snow core could be really, really impactful. It could be a, a great core to play mm -hmm. in uh, in tournament play. I almost brought it to San Antonio, but I recognize <laughs> that, that Nighttime Clasher actually did. And uh, it seems like, you know, Toga Damaru for him, you know, that was one of his breakthrough Pokemon. And I remember uh, a lot of Americans actually cheering for you, especially if they were two of Butters fans, because they wanted to see Shadow <laughs> Ampharos win a regional championship last season, right? So wacky electric types, similar teams. And then you come into this tournament and and I, and I he's got Shadow Charizard and you got Talonflame. Well, what's, what's going on here? There's so many similarities. I, I think Padawan to your Jedi Master, I, I think that's definitely... Uh, <laughs> He's, he's definitely he's definitely someone who has um, a good taste in in Pokemon. That is for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, maybe maybe he wants to be just like me. I don't know. I do not know. Mm. Um, first, I win a regional in Europe. Then he wins a regional in Europe. It's really just him copying me. I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's see. Like whether we can predict where where he's going from here just by watching watching my steps. Maybe that is how it works. I do not know, but. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very close set. It was a very fun set, and mm -hmm. I do think he does have some originality to his team building, like his Liverpool team. Oh, I would sure. never have run, um, but um, yeah, it was. There's definitely some parallels there, and yeah, just I don't I don't think it will be the last time that the two of us meet uh, on mm. stage. Well, despite finishing fourth, I'm looking here at the day two bracket. You actually got knocked down to the to the losers bracket by Colin. And then in the loser's bracket, you took down Tragic Comics and then was eventually defeated by Arceus Aurelius. So that's, that's I mean, honestly, to be knocked out by the two grand finalists is definitely <laughs> admirable. I think that that shows you kind of the sign that you were a contender, right? You're right on the cusp. And the, again, this is a 2-1 to each of these players as well. So you exactly. took a game off of, off of both of them. So it's not like it was, you know, a 2-0 shutout. So definitely very, very uh, well played. But I'm curious because... Uh, a lot of people are looking at Arceus Aurelius. He's definitely got a reputation, right? As as somebody who <laughs> who likes to rile people up, he likes to get people excited. Whenever whenever the camera always pans to the crowd, he's he's the loudest one. He's standing up. He's always excited and animated. And I haven't experienced it in person, but I'm but I'm curious. Um, you know, how is the environment over in Dortmund or over in Europe when uh, when Arceus Aurelius is in the crowd? I, I have to say, like, Marcus is actually the sweetest guy. Like, the he brings a lot of uh, excitement and enthusiasm to the stage. And I remember, like, after one of his um, matches in day two, he, he just fell to the floor, basically, and he just was lying there for a <laughs> full 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And he's just, like, 
really in the moment, really, um, he, he wears his heart on his tongue. Um, he definitely has no filter. Um, sometimes he tries to have more of a filter because his very first um, interview in Europe was actually one that didn't go over well with the Pokemon Company International <laughs> um, after he uh, basically announced that he would get shit-faced with the homies um, after <laughs> after uh, getting knocked out of the tournament eventually. Love it. Um, that didn't play really well with a family-friendly audience. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he's definitely someone um, that is a character um, that makes the entire experience for the viewers at home even more immersive and even more mm -hmm. exciting because mm -hmm. you seeing great plays is fun of course but you need the showmanship especially because it's never disrespectful with him he's just excited and we all should be excited about playing this game right because yeah this is this is what it feels like if you win a game by like those slim margins, if you achieve something that you worked for, for, for years, because this is like his 10th tournament. He's been trying so hard to become a Pokemon master and he finally succeeded in Dortmund. And it was just beautiful to see, especially with all the emotions that just mm. came out of him at that moment. There's, there's something special in proving something to yourself, right? A lot of people feel like they are contenders they feel like they they have the potential, and we talked about this before. After after Abinov won his tournament, you know, he said, I, "I know I'm good enough. I just need to prove it." And that I remember that message really resonated well with you. And I feel like for for Arceus Aurelius, it, it, it's almost like, yeah, you know, I think I've got the potential, but I mm -hmm. just love the game so much. I'm going to give my energy to it no matter what. And then he gave all his energy to competing. And he got a great result out of it, right? So a lot of those people who who live life very fully and they're very engaged and they're not afraid to, you know, let like you said, let their emotions show. Uh, I think uh, there, there's a reward on the other side, right? It's kind of unusual for a lot of people because we're taught to kind of be reserved, to not express too much, not to reveal too much, and uh, to to be, you know, uh, to act differently in a public setting, right? But I mean, honestly, watching Arceus Aurelius is like being on a roller coaster. I definitely feel like Arceus Aurelius is, is a person where when he's really low, you can see it, right? You kind of resonate with it. You say, oh, man, this is the end times. It's all over. This is doom and gloom. And then he's he's got like a, a medium barometer, but you kind of see that every now and then. And then he's got a really high barometer where he's like on top of the world, literally on town flames wings, flying through the matchups and winning and just feeling incredible about himself. Right. And then uh, as we saw on stage and you alluded to after winning, you know, he was flying high and then he just crashed and just started to sob. And it's like, Oh my goodness. Like I, I think a roller coaster is the best way I can think of to describe him. Yeah. And like, you have to also keep in mind that in the past, um, like he had some great tournament runs. I do think that's like his fourth chop cut. Um, after 10 tournaments, um, he sometimes brought his downfall onto himself by just playing misplays, as as we all yeah. do from time to time. But he, he was talking a lot about his plot armor during the Dortmund region. <laughs> he was basically the main character. Who, he was too important for the story, and he just couldn't die. And even <laughs> when, when his opponents had him at the break of, uh, on the break of defeat, um, like in the grand finals, uh, I think game four before the bracket reset, mm -hmm. Colin had the flame charge loaded. Yes. Decided to Thank you. fly into the red seal. I'm so glad you're mentioning this because this has been bothering me. <laughs> and like 
like Cullen is like has a strong claim to being the best European player currently, like probably up there with Patoman and all the people who have won a tournament and made it to a grand final. Um, but that was just a misplay that um, Asis Aurelius uh, managed to benefit from. But this is this is how you win tournaments. You just need to be the player that makes the least amount of mistakes. And um, he was locked in. Asis Aurelius was locked in. He was this player. He was him this weekend. And that is, that is um, just this one weekend that you need to prove it to yourself that you are up there with the very best. Because... Sometimes it's difficult to believe. You need this, you need this solid proof. You need to take home the medal to, to remind you of who you are and who you can be. And I, I've heard him talk about, oh, like sometimes I go up against a player and I think they're like more accomplished than me, better than me. And I always like feel like the underdog going into that matchup. Um, and I think he stopped feeling that, like that at, at some point um, during Dortmund. And that really showed with all his confident line calls. Um, I know he completely outread me in game three, um, basically inviting in the Annihilate and then countering it with the Talon Flame in the lead. And also in the grand finals, like whenever Colin had the Annihilate on his side, um, it had nowhere to go because Asis Aurelius brought three Talon Flame, uh, three Annihilate counters, excuse me. And that was just like, he was in everyone's head, basically. He was. He was, and you could definitely see that on, on display, right? A, a lot of the time, by game three, he had just locked in, or even in the grand finals, you know, game two and three in the in the first set of the grand finals, he just seemed to always call the lead. He always had his Azumarill lined up against Collins Talonflame. He just found ways to just be, uh, just just very like troublesome, like a problem. You just could not uh, get rid of Arceus Aurelius, and he just persevered through so much uh, competition. And I, you call it you know, being the main character, you know, that that's what, that's what he said as well. You know, I just felt like I was unstoppable. I call it flow state, right? Because uh, <laughs> our, no, I, I know it sounds uh, kind of, no, no, I know that is, that that is a thing um, that creators get that and competitors get that. So, um, so there, in my opinion, right, you can, you can kind of have a, a stiff approach to, to playing and you can look at all the matchups, all the variables, you can think about your energy, you can count really hard and you can just have like a really tight grip on, on the steering wheel when you're trying to play and you can say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to throw here, I'm going to do this, this is my plan, et cetera, et cetera. And you can, you can try that approach. You know, a lot of players do uh, succeed very well in that approach, but sometimes, sometimes you just let your hands off the steering wheel just a little bit and you re you reflect back on your muscle memory and your intuition from hundreds and thousands of battles over time and you have a team you really like and you know you can play your your way out of certain situations and you just feel like comfortable right it's not as stiff it's not as forced and you can just kind of play your own game and i think that's also what arceus aurelius was doing i mean in a lot of matchups where the switch timer was displaced he was taking advantage he was swapping something in he was gathering energy he was banking charge attacks not forcing situations right he was actually saving things for the later game and uh, i agree with you right this is a huge breakout moment for him a big moment of of realization i mean he even said in in his interview I took down Nezabethan and then he pauses. It was so funny. He said, I took down Nezabethan. He says, Oh wait, twice. I took him down <laughs> twice. And that's, that's not a fluke. That's, that's not a, you know, a, a one-off thing, obviously. And, and I think that that's also something to reflect on. Once you do get that first big win, you can approach it one of two ways. You can say, okay, that was a fluke. Probably won't happen again. I'm still not that good. Or you can say, yeah, 
I can do this. I can take down Nezabethan and then I match up against him again and take him down a second time, right? This is our runner up to EUIC last season who uh, who went toe to toe with Tonton Batus. I mean, these are serious players. And we talked about Nighttime Clasher kind of running through the bracket in, in Europe, taking down a lot of really talented players. Well, Arcus Relis did the same thing. And I think he's got a lot to be proud of. Yeah, 100%. Like um, on his way to the title, he took down Nezabethan twice, EUIC runner up. He took down two regional champions. And um, the other talented trainer that he beat, um, Wolfpack, Icelandic Lapras, Kashtan69 uh, on day two, didn't drop a single game against them. So that is yeah. that is just someone who's really in the zone and is unstoppable <laughs> on a given day. Yeah, that that was like a tour of vengeance, right? That was like <laughs> that was like I'm gonna prove myself no matter what, and nobody nobody can stop me, right? You're all just obstacles. But I was really impressed by Arceus Relish's play. Uh, grand finals, we can talk about a few breakdowns there, but I want to touch on the top eight meta before we dive right into the grand finals as much. Um, very interesting to see double Obama Snow, double Town Flame in the grand finals. We also saw seven Annihilate in the top eight, and the only non-Annihilate player. <laughs> was Arceus Aurelius, and he ended up winning it. And uh, one one more stat here. He won with Registeel, which was also a, a relatively unique pick, only won in top eight in Dortmund, and he's actually the third Registeel player to claim a regional championship this season. I was very surprised by that pick because um, it was one of my stronger Pokemon uh, when I brought it to Liverpool, but I thought people would drop it after the emergence of Shadow Whiskash. Um, because Shadow Whiskash has just a way more comfortable matchup against Registeel. Um, because two mud bombs basically threaten the knockout, while Reggie can actually take a shield off regular Whiskash if that counter swaps. Um, so yeah, this trend didn't really translate from North America to Europe. And it really just gave Regin, uh, Reggie Reginald, um, a moment in the, in, in the spotlight. Um, and what... I think also was like one of the main purposes of um, Reggie Steele on his team was to prevent um, his opponents from doing certain strategies like the Lickitung safe swap. Oh, yeah. Um, for many people unpunished against the Reggie Steele team, difficult, difficult. Mm -hmm. um, also, like stuff like leading um, an Obama Snow or an Azumarill and having Lickitung in the back doesn't really work when there's the threat of the big trash can core breaker. <laughs> and yeah, I think I think the Reggie was, um, even though this was like, oh, a Talon Flame Obama Snow Showcase, I do think the Reggie was actually his strongest Pokemon on his team. Interesting, right? Because he actually brought it to five games out of the nine that were played in the grand finals. And, and I have to agree with you, right? We saw a lot of situations I mentioned earlier where we saw his Azumarill lined up against Colin's Talon Flame, which is definitely problematic, but not, you know, incredibly incredibly bad but then he would couple that with uh, when the Lickitung safe swap came out it actually happened two games in a row I believe in the first uh, grand final set and Registeel immediately popped out and and this is like I I, I want to contrast this against uh, what a lot of top players do players like Wadaj or Jakobovic they might have like a neutral pick for something they might have a way to to deal with Lickitung or handle it but some players are, are they lean more towards team prediction. I definitely feel like that's what Arceus Aurelius did because he knew the Lickitung swap was coming and he had the register right there. And Colin tested him not once, 
or twice, but, but more like three or four times. And every single time Arceus had the answer. So uh, again, being in that flow state, right? Not thinking so rigidly, not thinking, oh, well, he's going to expect Registeel because that's his best Lickitung counter. So I'm just not going to bring it and I'll try to play my way out of it. That's how you could have approached it. But Arceus Aurelius says, no, I've got this matchup locked down. I know the Lickitung state swap's coming and I'm going to punish him. I'm going to come after him and be aggressive. And I think that's definitely what Arceus did very well in that grand finals. And it paid dividends, right? The stars just aligned. Absolutely. Absolutely. I especially just admire the confidence of just locking in a, in a line that looks risky on paper, but that turns out to be the exact answer to um, a strategy that you basically invite. I, I, I'm still not over my game three against him um, in, in our match. That, that, were, that, were, that was like a great set of battles, um, mm. by the way. That was probably um, the most exciting set of three the entire weekend. Um, like the games against um, Nighttime Clasher and against Colin were also great and competitive. But um, especially versus Colin, I was not happy with my calls. Um, against Arceus Aurelius, I felt like I did everything I could, but he still just was always one step ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I think what you like what sets apart a good player from a from a great player is to anticipate um the reactions you invite with your own choices because you give your opponent information with every single match. Mm-hmm. And you can expect your opponent to adapt to that information that you give them. And if you just weaponize that in, in future matches and always come up with the exact counter line to what <laughs> apparently makes sense for your opponent, then you're you just you're just unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really an amazing thing to see, to just watch things kind of come together that way. And they definitely did for Arceus Aurelius this past weekend. I've got some Talonflame stats from the grand finals. Because I remember uh, in previous episodes, we've broken down Scald debuffs. We've talked about how many times Mud Bomb has been thrown, how many you know uh, different charge stacks were used. You want to hear my Talonflame breakdown? Oh, yeah, please. All right. So I watched back the Grand Finals and the reset. And lo and behold, Colin actually brought his Talonflame every single game. He brought it nine out of nine games, right? So a lot of usage for him. Meanwhile... Arceus Aurelius brought it six out of nine games. Nice. I think that was on purpose, right? <laughs> but <laughs> Arceus Aurelius and Colin Flames, Town Flames matched up. Again, I'm rhyming and I don't mean to. It's super annoying and I'm sorry. Colin ended up throwing only seven flame charges in the grand finals and grand finals reset combined. Meanwhile, he threw 12 flies. So fly, definitely a game changer, right? Less energy intensive than Brave Bird and obviously doesn't come with that massive debuff to your defense. So 7 and 12 are the flame charge and fly numbers for Colin. Meanwhile, Arceus Aurelius in only six games threw four flame charges and seven flies. So definitely uh, a trend towards the fly usage. You know, maybe you could argue one of those flies from Colin was was not ideal. But <laughs> okay, okay. You brought that back up. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's just, I, I have it in my notes and I remember watching it and I was like, uh, he must just he must just not be confident that he can reach another attack against the Whiskash, right? Because because the Whiskash threw charge attack, he had to use a protect shield, and then yeah. Ridge still came in. Maybe he just wasn't confident he could get there in time because Incinerate is such a long fast attack. But regardless, yeah, seven and twelve and four and seven, and that's with uh, you know arguably thirty percent less usage, I guess you could say, from Arcus Aurelius. So 
definitely some interesting town flame stats and lots of flies, but no brave birds. Why? What happened to brave birds? <laughs> um, I have to say that um, I do think that my run did not end because I uh, opted for the double flying move set. Um, <laughs> because whenever I had to pick and choose what move to throw, um, brave bird just gave me more options, right? Because in the zeros against an ice beam player of Azumarill, um, Tunnel Flame actually wins that by going fly first and Brave Bird second. Um, because you can tank a charge attack and you get to two moves. And if you if one of those moves is Brave Bird, you actually um eke out a, a, a victory by the slimmest of margins. Um then there was a situation against Arceus Aurelius in our game two, where it basically came down to my tunnel flame with hundred energy, um his whiskash at like 70% uh, with a shield. And when uh, if he shielded the Brave Bird correctly, he would win that game. If he shielded the fly and I landed the Brave Bird, um, I would win that game. But he made the right shield call, but still, that was a 50% chance of winning that game. And if I had Flame Charge, I would have had a 0% chance at winning that game. So I still do feel confident that um, the, the double flying Talon Flame does have a lot of play. Um, flame charge definitely can spiral into something really dangerous if you win a matchup and maybe go down a shield, come out with energy. So there's definitely merit to flame charge, and the two grand finalists um, using flame charge on their talent flame definitely proves that. But I'm still happy with my moveset, and I do think that, um, especially because I was um, like a little soft to certain threats where I wanted to have the harder hitting move as an option. Um, it was better for my team, but yeah, Talonflame just has a great move set overall. Incinerate, like the buffed Incinerate, at the start of the season, you would you would you would have thought that the Talonflame meta would have arrived way earlier. Um, it took a while, but now we're here, and <laughs> yeah, we we don't have any more tournaments within this this specific um meta, but mm. I I do think Talonflame might be here to stay. It won't change too dram- dramatically, I don't think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think with Talonflame and the moveset choice, if trainers are looking to bring Talonflame to a local championship, maybe you were inspired by Arceus Aurelius and Colin this past weekend, uh, or excuse me, like a local tournament, I should say. Uh, I do think that the moveset depends on how you want to close the gap against your opponents. Because like you said, Flame Charge can kind of spiral or or snowball or build towards something more impactful. I feel like Flame Charge plus Fly can help you close the window against Pokemon like Whiskash a little bit more safely. But if you want to just you know, take the Zoilus approach and just Brave Bird the crap out of stuff, then that also can can close the gap in, in bad matchups. Because uh, Talonflame has that unique ability where you're not kind of stuck. You're not static in what you decide to do. Uh, it's kind of like having a close combat uh, user or a wild charge user. You can kind of fire off that kind of YOLO attack to uh, to really drop your opponent's HP and, and try to win a matchup. And I think that's really unique. So whenever you're trying to fit Talonflame into your composition, I think that's something to consider, like how you want to approach it and how aggressive you can actually afford to be. So Again, huge shout out to Arceus Aurelius for winning in Dortmund. I know that was a huge moment for him. He was really, really excited and we could see it, right? He's one of those those characters that just shows everything like we talked about before. And uh, I also want to give respect to Colin as well. I feel like I brought up the, the fly in game four several times. I just want to say, Colin, it's all love. Really, really respect you. And like like Zoila said, definitely one of the top players in Europe. And, uh, and a lot of people that are that good, when they do make a single mistake, it's just magnified. 
you know, by, by tenfold because people are saying, oh, well, they're so talented. You know, how did Michael Jordan miss a shot? He's so good. It just feels like if, if you know, Colin doesn't land that one charge tag, people are going to remember. But I think he's going to try to write that wrong in a future tournament. I think I remember like a certain rise to occasion once shadow balling a normal type on stage. Um, That's true. That's true. So like even people who are basically the indisputed goats of uh, play Pokemon PvP have done those things in the past. And it really doesn't take anything away from anyone's quality as a battler. You know, Rise's situation actually destroyed all of my confidence in the death win clause. Like I don't, oh. I don't. No, no. Seriously, I don't, I don't believe in death wins anymore. I used to, right, coming from the old Sylph days. But after that, I was just thinking, you know, you could say, okay, well, obviously this trainer would have won if they would have just thrown the charge tech. Which charge tech? You know, it's a high stakes situation. What if they press the wrong button and it's double resisted? You know, and something crazy like that happens. Uh, yeah, uh, it really kind of flipped my world. <laughs> yeah, we can we can have maybe a little discussion about the nature of death wins and win conditions. Um later in the episode, but I feel like I should um, finish Dortmund with one closing thought, which is um, a big shout out to the French community, because mm -hmm. if you watch the broadcast, um, if you if you heard the, the crowd roaring when anything happened on stage, that was all the Frenchies. They came with like 20 people. Um, nice. four, four out of eight top cutters were French, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe it was four of the top 12, but there were like a lot of French people making it very far. And their their team building was so creative. Like Tonton is at this point known for um, his creative approaches, especially with dragon types. And mm -hmm. um, he brought the Gust Lord. He paired it with the Shadow Zapdos. Um, that was that was incredible. And uh, Tragic Comics, um, who I had the honor to play, um, mm -hmm. made top five with a tackle greedent. A tackle greedent. <laughs> this is unheard of. And it was it was um, definitely something that made the tournament um, infinitely more exciting and entertaining to just have the energy from the crowd and the spicy battles on stage. And yeah, big shout out to uh, my friends over in France. That was, that was a great showing. I, I just can't believe that, that Tonton was able to win EUIC last year with Shadow Charizard, Shadow Dragon Air Corps. And so far this season, he's brought Seeking to a grand finals. He, he's brought Guzzlord, <laughs> Shadow Zapdos. Shout out to Evan77, right? And I just can't believe he's able to perform the way he is. But I, And I agree with you, so I, I wanted to, to piggyback off your point because I feel like the crowd at LAIC was definitely the most electric crowd, right? I, I, I highly, highly recommend anyone that that is a hardcore battler who's who loves the game to travel to the next laic and just be a part of the environment because the crowd is incredible and i feel like cheering for the gb lindos was a, was a big part of it cheering for uh chilean trainers or peruvian trainers was also a big part of it so there's some national alliances there i think we also get a bit of that in eu right you said there were there were 20 uh frenchies that showed up i definitely think that cheering for your your comrades your friends your your other locals is important and I just want to challenge again, I just, every episode, I just want to challenge North Americans to actually cheer, right? We're so individualistic. <laughs> we're, we're so, we're so damn, you know, uh, in our own silos about winning and it feels like we're all kind of in it for ourselves, but I would love to see, uh, and hear some more cheers, especially, um, coming up here, Vancouver. I'm, I'm just going to punt on that one because the Canadians are nice. The, the rumors are true. <laughs> They're incredibly kind people. And I really doubt that they will, you know, make a, make a, a big, Russell in the crowd, given the given the situation, but maybe the next North American tournament, we'll see. That's sure. so why I, I wanted to touch briefly on Melbourne because I was able to watch back the VOD. 
of uh, of the grand finals actually provided by PVP Steve and PVP Steve had incredible people on his cast. Uh, Dr. Trotter, uh, Rocket Claire and uh, Mickey Morgs all broke down the day two battles and a reminder to everybody. These were recorded over someone's shoulder by Zoe two dots with her with her camera. So shout out to Zoe as well for for all that she did. I also heard that Debbie Pebble made a recording, but apparently it apparently it wasn't high enough resolution they weren't able to see the battles accurately but shout out to everyone involved in in the in the aussie pvp scene i have a new phrase why you want to hear it okay please my new phrase and i'm going to use this if i see it again it's yakko mode right and that that Sounds like Hakamo'o can either evolve into Komo'o or Yakamo'o or... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, well Yakovovich, Yako evolved <laughs> again here at a uh, regional championship in Australia and Melbourne uh, to kick off the month of February. And uh, he did it with a really interesting team, right? I think so. You, you're a big fan of the team. We, we touched yeah, on this yeah, briefly. Yeah. Super flexible play. Incredibly flexible and trying to prevent key things, right? Honestly, follow Jakobovic on Twitter. Definitely one of the most creative minds in PvP. And like you pointed out with Arceus Aurelius bringing the Registeel to punish Lickitung safe switch, Jakobovic just really kind of nullified all the Skull debuffs, all the Night Slash boost. He found ways to kind of temper those, you know, shovel dirt onto that fire and kind of put those out. Uh, Pelipper, Shadow Whiskash, Chargebug, Shadow Gligar, Obama Snow, with Icy Wind and Lickitung was his team. He went up against a Bastidon team in Triple Crit in the Grand Finals. So anyone that takes down Bastidon is a friend in my book. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Triple Crit. Uh, but I just want to give some interesting usage stats here for the Grand Finals. This series went to game 10. This series went the distance, yeah. right? And and watching this back, this almost felt like the old Rocky movies with you know Apollo versus Rocky and they're in in the final round and they're just both just battered and bruised and they can barely see and they're just swinging right just swinging at the air trying to hit something that's what this series felt like right and Yukovovich was in the chat during the replay he he actually said yeah at this point in game 10 I had no idea what to bring I just wasn't sure what to play because they were so exhausted but Kovrovich ends up winning it in game five uh the reset in particular was back and forth Yukovovich game one triple crit game two Yukovovich triple crit Yukovovich finally got the better of him but in terms of usage it was fascinating to look at these numbers right because triple crit annihilate Lickitung Shadow Gligar Bassidon Charge Bug Azumarill he brought annihilate Lickitung and Shadow Gligar six times each mm -hmm. in the grand finals out of 10 games right he also brought Azumarill seven times for his most used Pokemon meanwhile Yako, and this is going Yako mode. You ready for this? Yako brought Shadow Gligar nine times and Shadow Whiskash 10 out of 10 games. I think he needed to do that just because of the busted on thread. True, true. Double ground, right? And he kind of rotated in a couple other Pokemon, like Katong five times, Charge Bug four, Obama Snow only once, Pelipper only once. But this is not unfamiliar for Yako's play. And this is where, where Yako mode comes from because watching back his other tournament run, I believe at Brisbane, he did the same thing in the grand finals where he brought a uh, superior lantern Metacham to almost every single damn game. I think he only brought frost maybe once and then Canton nine tails maybe once. And again, this is probably team composition related. Maybe his opponent had weaknesses, but whereas we saw Arceus Aurelius kind of make those risky choices punish his opponent's safe switches. Yako just brings the same thing over and over with slight variations. Maybe he switches the lead. Maybe he changes the order, but he just 
wears you down. He just beats you down over time, just with the same Pokemon again and again and again. And yes, it is predictable, but Yako just plays it better. He just seems to play those Pokemon better than everyone else around him. And it's really, really wild to see. So, so again, next time I see somebody in the grand finals, who's bringing the same Pokemon every damn game and just doing it better than his opponent, I'm going to say they're going Yako mode. I think especially Shadow Gligar is also such a strong Pokemon for that playstyle because mm-hmm. its energy is basically walled by nothing that is not a Skarmory. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you manage to just get a farm down, position, position it well, catch a move, like you can take down everything just by outplaying your opponent. And somebody as decorated as Jakobovich definitely has the skills to do so. Um, I haven't watched it back yet, but I really want to see... Um, how he tackled um especially the the busted on threat because I feel like you um mentioned a lot of stats, but I don't think I I heard the name busted on among those. How often did the Basti come out? Yeah, that's a really, really good question, right? Bastidon came to three out of the ten games. Oh. And so uh, it was mainly relegated to to a bench pressure Pokemon. I guess that makes sense with how often the Whiskash and the Shadow Gligar came out. Three appearances of Bastidon. Triple Crit actually led it into Lickitung twice, right? In games two and three of the Grand Finals. And then he brought it in the fifth game of the Grand Finals reset. So he brought it three times, led into Lickitung twice. The third time he brought it, he led into Shadow Gligar. Yukobovich won every single one of those three games. Whoa, okay. Okay, so we basically have confirmed that Bastidon is a liability rather rather than an (laughs) asset. Exactly, right? De- definitely can hamper you if you don't find the right alignment. It was definitely interesting to see as well because in the final game of, of the Grand Finals reset, he brought it into Shadow Gligar. Uh, Triple Crit took the dig on Bastidon. It definitely looks like an XL Bastidon because it ate the dig quite well. And uh, Steve, or excuse me, not Steve, but uh, Trotter and Mickey Morks were talking about the shielding situations and how this is actually not that bad for Bastidon. But in the end, Jakobovich did prevail, which is definitely uh, pretty impressive because... Again, taking down Bastidon is awesome. Even Triple Crit in the chat for the replay was saying, yeah, I don't mind that he took down Bastidon. He deserves it. <laughs> if if even the Bastidon user agrees, uh, who am I to disagree? Exactly. Exactly right. But again, shout out to our regional champions uh, for this month, uh, Jakobovich, as well as Arceus Aurelius, and then our Knoxville regional champion, Doombug, who's able to do the two-peat. Um, but that being said, that's why I think there's a couple of different directions we could go. I'm wondering if you want to touch on the dispute we had in Knoxville or if you want to uh, move towards the end of the show. What do you think? Um, I feel like we can just talk about the dispute situation briefly because we did sure. get an update um, from Valorash, who was um, affected by a controversial decision during the Knoxville regionals where his Gligar um, lost some wing attacks in the mirror match in the lead and uh, thus basically was prevented from uh, fighting for switch advantage mm-hmm. and just was generally disadvantaged in um, that particular situation. And now I saw on Twitter that he posted a bit of a resolution after mm-hmm. um, contacting, um, uh, I'll say, the authorities. Like He checked back with TPCI and... Um, definitely wanted some clar- clarification about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my surprise, they actually said, oh yeah, this is how it should have went. Um, you should not get um, a rematch for that particular situation because even though that was um, a disadvantage, you still had win conditions left. So it wasn't over for you and therefore you shouldn't get a rematch. And I personally do think 
um, that this is problematic. Um, but I also don't really think that we should um, judge the volunteers on the ground um, for it too much because um, really it, it just shows that um, the rulings might need an update if um, there's still like so much, like, like so little clarity around those issues where basically everyone just assumed, okay, um, there's only only one real ruling and now it was determined that um, no, the ruling made on stage that many people seem to disagree with was actually within what um, the rule book um, said. Um, what, are, what are your opinions on, on that situation, Sveli? Yeah, um, I, I, I just want to apologize first. So I, I feel like every time there's like a dispute angle, either you're involved or you're stuck talking about it. And uh, <laughs> it's like a really tough position to be in. But I, but I, also, I also think you handle it really well. Um, yeah, I just want to start by, by saying that rematches suck. Like nobody wants to do a rematch, uh, especially if you are in a solid position and you want to, tr you know, try to win the game. I think it's really dangerous to to kind of assume win conditions, right? And we saw this as well. Uh, again, going back to the rise shadow ball knockdown situation, you can go in one of two directions, right? You can say that losing a mirror match in the opening moments of the game meant that you know the game was still winnable and you had other win conditions. And in most cases, sure, you could argue that. But then you go to the other direction, you know, the old self direction. You say, "Oh, well, if 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 excuse me, if Rise had the sky attack, that's a def win. And if the game crashed right before the opposing knockdown came out, we just give the win to Rise." And you could say that kind of robbed his opponent because what if Rise messes up in this one moment and throws a shadow ball? You know, so there's always like a balance you have to strike uh, somewhere in the middle. And I do think that, like you said, we can't hammer the judges. We should never uh, come after the volunteers. I feel like we talked about this last week as well. Uh, but I, I do, it, I, I do want to say I respect Mason for showing the the judge ruling, right, giving more feedback and following up. But I do think it needs to be from a constructive place. I, I think it needs to be like, okay, we we see what what happened. We don't agree. How can we improve it, right? If you have suggestions for how to change the the judging rulings. Uh, structure then we should definitely explore that we should hand over solutions right don't don't be problem oriented don't just be an armchair quarterback who just complains and actually think about solutions and try to offer them and i think that's the most constructive thing that we can do but yeah i don't know i i i'll, I'll say that right because as a caster as a representative for the game i do think it's a very precarious thing to just assume that more win conditions exist but it's a judgment call, right? I mean, no pun intended, but it is a judgment call in the end of the day. You're correct about that. And at the end of the day, um, every judge can only work with what they're given. Yeah. And there's just so much, um, there's such, there's just such a big gray area where a lot of it comes down to interpretation and, um, it comes uh, down to how do you yourself view the game? Um, do you just play out the game in your head basically and come to a conclusion um, as to what would have happened there. Because I do think that even um, if the lead matchup went another way, it would have been still difficult for Mason to uh, wiggle his way out of the situation because the team comms overall didn't look um, too, too amazing for him. But then again, is that really the precedent that we want to set? That if there is um, lag that impacts the game in a meaningful, meaningful way, that that is not unnecessarily rematchable. And I do just think that we need to strive for more clarity. 
And I do also think that um, one major gripe that I have with the current rematch rulings um, concerns the way the replays themselves are handled. Because in grassroots formats, um, we don't just have, okay, this was um, affected by lag. You have to basically completely nullify this match and start from zero. Um, instead, it is um, handled in a way that the person that got their win overruled um, gets to choose whether they want to keep the exact same lines and just play out the same matchup again, mm -hmm. or whether they just want to keep the same leads, but the back lines could be changed. This gives a little bit more authority towards the party negatively affected by the ruling, because if you get a win taken away, that just... It's just difficult for you. That just sucks. And that's why um, some judges might be hesitant to um, hand out rulings that um, are in favor of a rematch. Because, um, of course, now um, Valar Ash Mason feels um, disadvantaged by how this went down. Mm -hmm. But the same could be said about his opponent. If he has a favorable team comp, um, his opponent lags. And then he can't capitalize on this on this favorable team comp anymore, even though he made the right strategy calls. So if we maybe adopted the best practices from the grassroots circuit, um, it would be there, there would just be a higher level of acceptance for rematches within play Pokemon, mm -hmm. and we would come closer to um, playing out the original matches that um, get reviewed, get disputed. Um, closer to how they actually should have been played out because we keep the same leads, we maybe keep the exact same teams, and we we get closer to um, just the original outcome of what would have happened without the lag. Um, it can never be entirely identical. There's uh, variables like skull debuffs or just the amount of information revealed um, during a match, so it can't ever be perfect. But I think we can just um, find a middle ground, especially through the years of um, grassroots experience that we have collectively assembled. And I do think that the best way of um, dealing with the situation going forward is just to strive to communicate with the people um, calling the shots and maybe implementing positive changes. There's so much we can learn from our grassroots experience, right? And that, that's what Silphirina did for so long. It actually worked through a lot of these, these problems and dealt with them in real time, took player feedback and tried to make the right calls. So I definitely think there's credence there and I have full confidence in our, our staff team and, and everyone who's developing the rule sets in order to adopt, uh, you know, best policies and, and evolve. That's the hope, right? And I need a higher hope, honestly, is why is to just stop having these rematches. Like just, <laughs> just have the game work well. There's, there've been so many tournaments that we went to where everything was smooth. Everything was working great and there weren't rematches and everybody was happy. And I feel like uh, that's the ideal situation where we just don't have those rematches and everything is stable. And I promise you, right. Being on, being on the inside of a lot of these events they're trying, they're trying so hard, right? They're working with so many different variables and it's like a constantly moving target. And a lot of times it's just things that you don't anticipate, right? Like a, like a spike in internet usage in VG can cause the whole network to come down to mm -hmm. the venue. Can, can go prepare for that, right? There's so many different things that you just can't account for. Uh, there was one venue we were in where uh, <laughs> lo and behold, the GPS kind of kept defaulting to a location inside the city instead of where the venue was. so <laughs> We had that in Dortmund too. We had that in Dortmund yeah. too, just to, just to interject here. Because a lot of people 
who connected to uh, the the Wi-Fi that was basically the Pokemon Wi-Fi that was brought uh, from mm-hmm. Liverpool to Dortmund, just had their in-game character appear at the Liverpool venue because that was the last um, destination where the GPS basically picked up the location nice. and people were able to spin Liverpool stops from the Dortmund Convention Center. So, okay. yeah, that's just a lot of like technical difficulties that come with an event of that size. Yeah. And, and there's just so many, <laughs> that's hilarious. There's so many critical moments in, in other esports too. I, I know Pokemon Go making its way into an esport. A lot of players maybe aren't as familiar with some of the other games, but just in my own personal watching experience at the Halo World Championships last season, which were on LAN, right? On LAN, local network in Seattle, they had multiple uh, down moments where the observers dropped, where players just started walking into walls because essentially, you know, they couldn't get inputs going and they even had game restarts. And that's in the grand finals of a game that's been in esports for the better part of 20 years, right? And and then my brother used to play Apex Legends uh, quite a bit. Watching back the grand finals from a couple years ago, there's... You know, in a lot of games, there are ultimate attacks you can use or ultimate moves. And then there's, you know, basic gameplay. Well, I remember it was it was the final ring, right? The ring had closed and there were two teams remaining and one player tried to use their their ultimate and the game just crapped the bed. The game just didn't work and the ultimate didn't go off and it just immediately went to cool down instead. And this was, you know, for for multiple six figures worth of money. This was an incredibly large tournament. Oh, yeah hosted you know by by ea sports the developer and it just didn't work and there was no rematch and that was it because the game is just how it is could, could you it's one thing to lose a game in pokemon go and and have to rematch or or get knocked out of a tournament it's another thing to lose a hundred grand because of a game issue right or to be 100 at the world championships on land and expecting everything to work and just have things not work right so Again, it's a moving target. We have to have perspective on this. I think that's really important. And I do appreciate uh, what Mason shared. But please also listen to what, the other things he said. You know, treat judges with respect, be constructive. All those things I think are, are really critical. But that's so why, unless you have any other thoughts on that, uh, we can move towards the championship points update and we can actually ask the viewers a question. We can, we should. We should wrap up the season of Timeless Travels. Yeah, we're about two weeks out, right? About 14 days. Uh, I think exactly 14 days until our season of Timeless Travels is over. And we don't have another tournament, like you mentioned, until after the season update and very, very soon after the season update. So I think this time's why I I don't really have a prediction. And uh, I'm kind (laughs) of curious what the viewers think. What do you say? Yeah, I feel like I feel like we should rather predict what changes we we would like to see um for this upcoming wow. season because we know there will be changes, right? We have we have already like there's there's like data miners who mm-hmm. predicted some some fast attacks maybe added to the game. I don't know how those will impact the the, the future of PvP, but mm-hmm. we have seen what succeeded over the last three months. But whenever something is strong maybe too strong people will call for a nerf or an introduction of new new counterplay and yeah i'm curious what people think what we need because i do still think the meta is relatively healthy i don't think we need big changes but we would definitely benefit from from some fresh blood 
there's always a big target, right? I think Metacham was a target for a long time. Most wanted a Pokemon in the meta, and it's finally been erased, right? We don't see it in Top Cut at all anymore, which is really fascinating to look at. Uh, I think that Skarmory Whiskash Core is definitely something I would love, love to see kind of tempered, kind of tampered down, because Skarmory by itself is just a gravity well that's pushed all the other grass types uh, into oblivion, basically. And I'd really love to see something kind of break that up. Um, we have some really incredibly talented trainers who give inputs as well on Twitter that I, I always read through all the threads, right? Maybe you think, you know, I'm not liking everything, so I'm not seeing it. But uh, players like Tomahawk made a really long thread actually back in November of last year. And he gave some additional updates recently as well on Twitter. Uh, I read what Jonkus writes. I read what Chasing Polaris writes. And I look at a lot of different players' perspectives on what kind of movesets. So I'm curious, right? Uh, we're going to post this this episode and a link to it on on X. Let us know what kind of moveset updates you'd like to see. And uh, we'd love to hear your ideas because my my personal targets, why to get back to your question, we gotta we gotta somehow temper this Skarmory Whiskash core. We have to do something about that. I am very positive that we will see a slight rework of the move Scald specifically. Because I do think that is what um pushed Whis Whiskash over the edge from Pokemon that was usable, that was good, to something that is essentially just a better Swampert. Mm -hmm. And if you are a better Swampert, you are probably slightly too good to be like forever <laughs> part of this meta. And yeah, if I if I just look at all the teams that um succeeded this season, um it was very difficult to do it without Whiskash, without Lickitung, uh, without Shadow Gliger, and without Charger Bug. Those were yeah. basically the biggest players and for some of them i do think that they are neutral enough so that they don't necessitate a nerf but um occasionally i would just like some some counterplay to those pokemon be introduced um or maybe some slight nerfs like maybe maybe dig needs to be slightly worse than it currently is mm -hmm. that is also maybe a discussion we could have because um, the ground types like double ground is is kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's see what Niantic has in store for us. I do think, um, like over the last few season seasonal updates, um, we have actually been um privy to some really meaningful meta changes. Mm -hmm. And over the last six months, I would have said I would say um like this this entire like year of um competitive Pokemon Go has been one of really balanced and um, kind of exciting matters, actually. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I'm confident that we will see something entirely new emerge um, at the Utrecht special event that actually takes place at the very first weekend of March, just a day or two after the changes um, come into effect. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting tournament. I know a lot of uh, European trainers will be looking for scrims as well. So if you are in uh, North America, Latin America, or APAC, and you want to battle some of your European friends, I definitely think that's that's worth looking into because they'll want all the practice they can possibly get. But speaking of upcoming events, Utrecht, like you said, is the next one, first weekend of March. We also have Goani, which is the following weekend, March 9th through 10th, followed by Vancouver, which is March 22nd through 23rd. So if you are a championship series fan and you want to uh, get continued coverage, unfortunately, we're kind of hitting a dry spot for a couple of weeks. I'm excited to get this episode out, but it might be the last thing you hear from us for a little while. And if you are listening to this today, Thursday, the 15th, I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. But secondly, remember that 
there are only 112 days left to earn championship points. The cutoff is NAIC 2024. So if you're trying to qualify for Worlds, you know, I remember when it was 120 days. I remember when we were recording, it was 130 days. Well, it's doing million down. Now, that being said, I do think that we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, that's why. Always a pleasure and honor. You, you mentioned having some time off, and uh, I'm glad you have some time off today. But we also have essentially two weeks off. So excited! Yeah, to see, yeah, yeah. Excited to see what you what you cook up in the meantime. And uh, for myself, I will not be going to Sinotor. I'll be in Philadelphia in Boyerstown for the Asylum event, and uh, that's going to be a great time. Hoping to meet up with House Stark there. And uh, for you, I hope you have a good rest. Uh. Thank you so much. I hope I will have that too. I'm actually looking forward to the Boyerstown event. I will not be there, obviously, because I will be in Europe. Um, <laughs> but a friend of mine, uh, XX Monarch, um, might actually be competing. So um, nice. good luck to him. He's uh, an excellent battler. I wouldn't be surprised to um, see him make it far. And yeah, I'll be I'll be playing the Global Sino Tour. I will not be at the Rose Bowl. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't mind uh, a few weeks of, of rest, a few days of recovering and just not being a tournament after tournament and, and we'll yeah. see each other again at the beginning of March. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of, uh, well, I guess one other project that's kind of long running, we did get some interest in terms of the meta breakdown over time and we have started making some notes on that. So Homework for you. If you're listening to this, you've made it this far. First of all, thank you uh, for listening to our first five episodes of the podcast. Secondly, let us know what moveset updates you want to see in that March rotation that's coming up in two weeks. And leave any other thoughts that you have for us because we like to uh, to get engaged and get involved. But anyway, so I, I hope you have a great couple of weeks. I will talk to you soon. But until then. Until then. <laughs>